Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics, a podcast dedicated to exploring how things get places and the people who get them there. We'll talk with logistics and supply chain leaders about innovation, industry trends, and the future of the logistics business. Now, here's your host, Joe Lynch. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today's topic is thinking like a CEO with my friend, Dan Slagan. How's it going, Dan? Doing well this morning. Yourself, Joe? Doing great. Doing great. I'm excited to talk to you about this topic. Dan, please introduce yourself and well, tell us your day job and then tell us a little bit about your book because we're going to talk about your book mostly, but your day job kind of glances across logistics and supply chain too. Sounds good. So I am the chief marketing officer here at tomorrow.io. We are a weather and climate tech company. We advise companies through our software and API to help them understand the impact of weather before it hits. So we give companies in supply chain and logistics predictive and actual insights on how to operate their business before it's too late, before something like wind, precipitation, or hail impacts their, their operations. I've been in the startup world my entire career, and I really wrote this book based on... What's the name of the book? The, book, the name of the book is uh, Understanding Startup CEOs. And more importantly, the, the mindset that you need to work for one and really think like one. And I wrote the book based on my experience here in the startup world, reporting into a number of CEOs, talking with hundreds of CEOs and interacting with countless peers as well, who sort of shared some of their, their stories and reporting and working for CEOs. Yeah. And before we hit record, Dan, well, first off, I want to talk a little bit about Tomorrow IO. So I'm going to put a link in the show notes to my interview with, I, I'm probably mispronounced her name again, Ayala, yeah. the COO, I think, at um, Tomorrow. I th- really think that... She's our, she's our GM. GM? Okay. I think that when you look at what you guys are doing, it is going to be that next killer app. I mean, not, not, we've had visibility is so important, and it's going to continue to be super important. But... Part of visibility is saying, I can plan around stuff. We need to start planning around uh, the weather better at primes. <laughs> but um, when when you talk to drivers, they talk about the way they look at their job every day is a constant series of replanning. And they're replanning around weather. They're replanning around traffic. They're replanning around us being late with the shipment or not being able to unload and on time so you can't pick up your next load on time. And I think we need to do a better job with the visibility related to the, the weather. And the idea that um, what I think uh, I learned from that interview, 25% of the delays, 25% of the accidents are related to weather. And we are just kind of glancing at the weather and saying, well, it's nice here, <laughs> right? It's summertime, what could go wrong? This is the, I think, I think I learned this also. This here in the United States is the most volatile weather on the planet. I live in Michigan. It was 91 yesterday. I swear to God, it was 41 two, three weeks ago. <laughs> so I think we are going to have to get used to the idea that uh, we need to plan a lot better about, around the weather because it's going to save us money. It's going to save lives. Yeah, and we, we work a lot with the sort of VP of safety operations at trucking companies, logistics companies, exactly around that. We have more volatile weather. It's becoming more unexpected, and it's impacting our ability to operate the businesses in, in a seamless way. And I agree with you. I, I live in the Boston area here, and I, <laughs> I put my hand out yesterday morning just to feel the temperature. I told my wife it was humid. You can go outside in shorts and a T-shirt. Two hours later, she went outside, and she was freezing. I don't know, dropped 15 degrees or something like that. 
Yeah, yeah, it's funny. I went for a walk. I was the uh, this was like last week. Went for a walk. I think it dropped twenty degrees while I was walking, and I didn't walk that far. <laughs> anyway, so we talked a little bit about tomorrow. One more time. What's the name of the book? The name of the book is called Understanding Startup CEOs and the Mindset That You Need to Successfully Work for. And I will put a link to that in the show notes. And one of the things, before we hit record, we were talking, I was mentioning that I had the guys from McKinsey on, and they were saying that we didn't, that one of the challenges with logistics has always been, we don't get a seat at the table. We don't get to talk to the CEO. We were pushed kind of to like talk to the guys down in traffic, talk to Bob who works out back, talk to Sue. She's our purchasing person. Even though we realized in the during COVID that logistics and supply chain can ruin your business or make your business. And I think we in the logistics and supply chain business, we need to be able to talk to the CEO. So we need to know. So Dan, you're going to teach us what, how does that CEO think? And that's the name of our topic today, thinking like a CEO. But I think also we all work in companies. If you're not the CEO, you work for a CEO. So we need to understand how that guy or gal thinks. Yeah, absolutely. With I know with everyone on my team and here at the company, we really try and make sure people, regardless of their function or their role, they feel like they're the CEO of their domain. And we really want them thinking end to end, regardless of, of what they're doing. Yeah. And that's that's a, such a big change. I mean, I'm I'm a boomer. I'm one of the younger boomers, but I can say this in my career, what I've experienced has gone from a, a very top down, the boss is the boss, do what he said, don't don't question it. I remember doing dumb things thinking, God, if he only knew how dumb this was, but God forbid I question his, his, his uh, authority, his knowledge. We don't think that way anymore. So, but before we get into the topic and you wrote it down, you, you were kind enough to send me some up. Uh, Talking points. Before we get into those talking points, tell us a little bit about you. Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? Give us some career highlights before you joined Tomorrow IO and before you wrote this book. Sure. I'm originally from Concord, Massachusetts. So I've been in Boston the majority of, of my life. I went to school up uh, in the North Shore at a small school called Endicott College. I studied international business and, uh, and marketing. For me, within the business school, marketing was always the, the, the drawn and the pull for me. Made just made sense. And I moved very quickly after graduating school, right into the startup world. The first place I ever worked at is now called Wayfair. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, it was actually called CSN Stores back when I when I worked for, for them. And Survival has been in, in, in the marketing department. So initially sort of helped them building out parts of their website, building out new, new go-to-market product features, and then sort of moved on to agency world for a few years where I got a really good sense of how to operate across a number of different clients running digital marketing, offline marketing, really running, running kind of start, start to finish for them. And then moved over to uh, HubSpot, which is now a pu- public company. But there I ran a lot of their uh, online digital marketing, did a lot with their co-marketing partnerships, ran a lot of their events marketing. After that, I moved over to a small business networking startup called Alignable. I think now there's seven or eight million small businesses and local businesses on the platform networking with with one another. And then after that, I sort of moved over here to tomorrow.io. It was actually called Climacell prior to that, but we changed the name of the company and and now we're off and and running. And I think one of the things that I did as well through my career was I actually also started and sold my own startup. So I have a good sense of what it takes to get something off the ground, know what it's like to be managing every single thing. You're the CEO, you're the janitor, as you said earlier. You know, you're, you're everything all, all at once and some of the pressures that, that come with that. So 
I've been incredibly fortunate to learn from some wonderful people, from have some, having some of my own both incredibly exciting and rewarding experiences, also some incredibly challenging and disappointing experiences. And it's put me in the place now where I just feel like I have a really good sense of of the roller coaster ride that that is this this position. Right. And I think you mentioned you had your own startup. I think, you know, some of you who might be younger say, well, I'm I'm not I'm not going to have my own startup. I'm not going to be the CEO. If you look at people who've been working a while, you look at LinkedIn profiles. I look at a lot of them and you'll always see guys especially as you get to the top closer to the top of organizations, you might find yourself, you know, getting fired, quitting company got acquired, whatever it was, people leave top jobs all the time. You're more likely to leave a top job than you are to leave a job. And I think what you see a lot of times is guys say, well, I'm consulting or I'm an advisor. And so I think in a lot of ways, you're going to be your own CEO at some point. In in between now and then, if you're not already a CEO, you're going to be answering to one. And I think also we're going to sell to those guys. We need to start thinking, you you guys uh, tomorrow are selling yourselves and your team we all need to think like a CEO, but I think we all need to know how the CEOs think because I remember this when younger when when I was still young, I worked for my dad's company. So I was, you know, it was a small company, engineering. That was great. But then when I quit there and I worked elsewhere and I worked for other people, um, I remember getting sent to like a vice president's office. He had like 10,000 people who worked for him. And I remember having to talk to him and, and I remember the, the information that I wanted to bring. As soon as I walked out of the office, I realized, oh my God, he thinks I'm an idiot because I was talking about stuff that was so far below what he cared about. And I thought I was being real thorough, but I was probably being really detailed beyond what he ever cared about. So. Yeah, and, it's, and oftentimes we come into some so many of those meetings and we we talk about what is important to us, what we think is important. But really, the way you have to frame it is what's important to that person. What is that person thinking about? What's going through that person's mind this morning or this afternoon? And does that does that correlate to what's going through my mind? And if it does, great. But oftentimes it doesn't. And you have to separate yourself from from the emotional things that are getting you fired up or getting you frustrated, and objectively say from the top down, what is, what is my manager or the CEO think? What should we actually be talking about? So Dan, take us through some of these talking points. You've been kind enough to send me three sections that you wanted to talk about. So the first one was the CEO mindset. What do you mean by the CEO mindset? And how do we need to, how do we need, what do we need to do to start thinking like that CEO mindset? Sure. So first and foremost, it's kind of just being able to understand that they're thinking about certain things. You know, they're thinking about the vision of the company. They're thinking about making sure there's money in the bank. They're making sure that the employee culture is where it needs to, to go. And so as you approach your CEO, there's just a couple of things that can be helpful. And some of the notes that I, I put underneath that section, you know, first and foremost, you know, your CEO, they know that something is broken. You know, whatever you think you're going to go tell your CEO, hey, this thing's not working. Hey, it's broken. They know. Right. They're aware of that. The, the question is, can you go to your CEO with a solution? Going to them and simply saying this is broken is not all that helpful. It really only just adds a layer of stress to the conversation because then they're going to turn around and say, well, how do we fix it? And if you don't have a solution, then you haven't brought any value to the CEO. You've just added another issue. That is so true. And I think that, that that's more than just the CEO. But I, I learned that early in my career is the almost the worst thing you can do is go walk in the boss stuff, go, hey, Dan, you know what's not working? Tick, and start ticking them off. and 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 you know, depending on the boss, they're either screaming it or saying, 
okay, now that you told me it's broken, what are we going to do to fix it, right? You want to be able to bring those so that, you know, what's broke, here's how we can fix it. Exactly. And the, your, your CEO is so, so used to and so comfortable operating in an environment where a number of things are broken. Right. And they're just very comfortable being in that, in that mindset. The, the second thing that I always like to say is sort of they, they hear everything. And the reason that I, I often say this is that whether it's a smaller or a larger organization, what, how you perform as a person, what you say to other people, what your energy levels are like, it ultimately gets back to your CEO. And they're going to know. They're going to find out if you're frustrated about something, if you're always the person that's kind of bringing people's morale down, or if you're energizing people, or if you're going into meetings solution-oriented or just raising issues. And over time, it, you know, it might not happen in the first month or three months or six months, but eventually it gets back to them and they figure out exactly what type of person you are at the company and how you're either adding or detracting from the culture that they're trying to build. Right. And, and you said they're, they're always interested in the vision of the company. Are we heading in the right direction? The culture of the company, they're, in, they're interested in the money. Maybe they're interested in if there's a big sale or if there's a problem with an existing customer, they're interested in that. They're in more at that strategic level. So they, so the bits and pieces that they get, they're just looking, you mentioned solution oriented. That's what they want on their team. So what else, do, what else are they looking for under that CEO mindset? Exactly. The next one is sort of around being able to adapt and, and phase plan and, and anticipate. It's always nice when you have sort of a, you know, whether it's a 30, 60, 90 day plan or a six month, a two year plan, whatever it might be. But making sure that your CEO knows that you're thinking about the next, whatever the next uh, increment of time that's important to that CEO is, you're thinking about it. Maybe they want to know what you're thinking about six months ahead from now, or 12 months, or two years, or five years from now, however large your company is. But making sure that you're constantly talking to your CEO on, on specific time bounds. So here's what's happening today. Right. Here's what's happening next. Here's what's happening after that. Here's what we're building in order to achieve that goal. Here are the risks. Here's what, you know, just literally going through all those types of things, but making sure that you're constantly ahead of your CEO, because what's going to happen is if you're not, they're just wired to assume that you're not thinking about it or that you might be, but they're going to mitigate it just to make sure. So they're going to start giving you suggestions or they're going to start asking you questions that you might not be comfortable with. And you really want to make sure that when you go into those conversations each time, you're talking about the present and the future and, and you're having those, those discussions together. You know, when um, and I've been in this sales role and I've also been on the, on the op side where the sales guys are selling to me. And when it comes to transportation logistics, we need to think that same way. When we go see the potential customer or the CEO, whoever they are, we need to have that. You might be implementing a technology, but it's not getting implemented that day, right? There's a plan for it. And so there has to, there's a, you know, sometimes you see people now talk about stand, walk, run, right? Crawl, walk, run, whatever it is. And I think that that is great. In the past, I remember people showing up and saying, and then we'll just implement it. You're like, oh, and that's almost like the miracle happens here on the timeline, right? As if there's no problems. And, and by the way, the CEO has been there, done that, got the hat. So he says, what do you mean implement? Where's my plan, right? He is going to assume you don't know what you're doing if you don't have that plan. And if you don't anticipate problems, if you don't say, yeah, the first month we're going to do this. And then in the second month, we're going to refine it or we're going to make it right. You know, we're going to iterate whatever the, whatever the proper next step is. So I love that. So you called it 
predictive adaptation, phase planning, you're anticipating future problems, future opportunities. Exactly. So what else is in that bucket? So the other one that I always like to bring up is just around sort of, I call it door kicking or uh, rejecting no as an answer. We've all probably been in a conversation with the group of executives or CEO and whether it's email or in a conference room or what, what be you, you know, you'll, you'll say, we, we can't do this. We tried. It didn't work. The CEO's knee jerk response is to question that well, we can do it. Why won't it work? What if we tried X, Y, Z? And it's always just, I just like to keep that in mind because they are so wired to ignore no. Because they've heard no more times than any of us combined, whether they're pitching the company to investors or going out and trying to sell a huge new strategic opportunity, any of those types of things, talking to, to, to the public markets, it just no all the time. They get questioned all the time. And if they just sort of shut down and accepted that, they wouldn't be the person that they are. They, they wouldn't, wouldn't be the CEO. CEO. <laughs> wouldn't be. It. So it's just, it's something, one of the best parts about this book is literally just to remember each of these things on a consistent basis so that you remember the person that you're working with, how they're wired, how they work. Because yeah. if you go in and you say, we can't do this, you better have a list of reasons as to why. And you and you better have pressure tested every single one to the max to make fully sure that not only can you not do this, it would actually be, it would actually be a negative thing for the company if we did it. And here's why. If not, your CEO is just going to be more solution oriented to try and help you find out well, have you thought about this? What if we tried this? What about that? That's that that last point is so important because again, I learned these the hard way. I think you go see a I go into Dan's office and say, Dan, we can't do this, this, or this. And you go, Well, if I gave you an extra head, could you do it? Oh yeah, that's not a problem. And then you're walking out with your tail between the legs and go, He sounds so smart, but if I if I knew that was a potential option, I would have gone in and asked. And after a while, you say, this is really be challenging to get this done. But if you gave us this one head, let me explain why getting one head or getting a hundred grand or getting a software solves that problem. And they do have access to those resources. So you got to think like they're thinking. And that's such a great point, Joe, because so, so often in the time people don't have the context that the CEO has, you know, we're not sitting in all the conversations that they're having. We don't know, but, and this is one of the hardest things to do in, in an executive role. You just have to pretend like you are the CEO and come with options and ideas and solutions. So it's not oh, it's not acceptable anymore for you to come in and say, "Oh, I didn't know I'd get another headcount." Propose it. The worst thing your CEO is going to say is no. You know, it's it's it's, it's really it's really hard. I struggle with this a lot, uh, and I still struggle with it today, just because so much changes all the time. I don't always have context, but I have to remind myself: What are all the things the CEO, my CEO, could be thinking? And what if I propose these ten solutions? You know, they'll say no to nine of them, but this one will work. And, and that, you know, that's how right. we go. And it reminds me, my dad used to say this sometimes. He said, especially when you work in large organizations, he would say, sometimes you work with people who can't see beyond their cubicle. And and that becomes your horizon, like my little world. And you said, you're, I'm living in my little world with all the constraints that come with that. I see my little box that I live in. And then I go see the CEO or a senior management guy. And he sees a much bigger problem, but he also sees so many more resources. So you really do have to put yourself in their chair. And this is this is the topic day, thinking like a CEO. So the first bucket you gave me there, Dan, was the CEO mindset. I'm gonna I'm gonna hit those three or four points you gave us, and then I want to get to the next bucket of things that we need to do to think like a CEO. So you said the CEO mindset. They're thinking about culture, money, the vision of the company. Are we on the right track? 
so when you go to their office, they're, uh, they're, they have a much different job, but they might be looking at something's broken. Take it off my plate. Bring solutions to me. Don't bring problems to me, right? You mentioned they hear everything. So you always want to be aware of how you're presenting, even if you're not in their office. I love this next one. Predictive adaptation, phase planning, anticipate. Talk about what's going to happen in three months, six months, a year, so they don't think that you didn't think about it. Last but not least, rejecting no as an answer. I think also that comes back to bringing that solution mindset, which is they can give you an extra head. They can give you an extra hundred grand. They can they can buy that software that you need. So don't come in with why we can't do it. Bring that 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 idea of can you give me this? Sell them. <laughs> so what's the what's the next section you want to talk about? So the next section is around performance outputs. It's something that you know we all invest a lot of time and thought and energy in in our jobs. But ultimately, it's the outputs of the time that we invest. Simply putting the hours, funny enough, doesn't doesn't do it anymore. Right. It's what's the result. It's what's the result of those hours. And so there's a couple of things that I, I really like to highlight in order to to sort of guide people around focusing on, on, on performance outputs. The first one is I call it tell tell me a story, and it goes a little bit to to what we just talked about around the the face planning. But you know. When you're presenting your department or your plan to the CEO, you know, think about it like you're telling a story. And when you tell a story, if you're a little bit too boring or you initially just go into the weeds, people tune out real quick. They don't they'll listen to the first five minutes, but then they're gonna they're gonna check out. An interesting story captivates the listener right off the bat and draws them into your world or the author's world. And once they're in the world, then they start to understand what's going on and they get interested and they start to ask questions and they want to read more and they want to hear more. That's how we should be talking to our CEOs and to our executives about our departments and we should be excited about them. And so as you're thinking about, you know, presenting, uh, you know, your plans and, and your growth plans, to your CEO, just think about it like a story. Any book has a beginning, a middle and an end. Where are we in your particular story? Maybe you just, maybe you just joined the company. If that's the case, you know, your introduction is going to be quite important. Maybe you're in the middle of that story and you really need to help us get through, you know, that boring part so we can get to the end. Or maybe you are at the end where you're starting to come to the completion of, you know, a, a one year plan or a two year plan. What comes next? Is it another chapter? Is it a new book? Is it something completely new? And just again, being able to sort of step back for a moment and say, all right, before I just get into the weekly numbers, right? where are, where are we? What should, what should we be talking about? Yeah, and I think what you just said is I love it because it puts it in context. And I, I, I always remember an implementation I had where we were moving LTL shipments for a large automotive supplier. And there was like 300 a week. Well, in the first week, the, our cost skyrocketed because a big chunk of the their cost, well, I knew what their cost baseline was. And we went way higher than that. And like 30% higher. And I remember we present our regular matrix, their metrics to them, their KPIs. They would go, oh my God, this is crazy. Like, what have you done to us? Like we we came to you to save money and now we're paying 30% more. And so, and I'm not patting myself on the back because I, I learned these lessons over time, but I decided I'm going to talk about this is this is an implementation. Right now, most of your suppliers are not using us. And as a result, we're getting higher prices. And so I talked about non-compliance is the first 
the first slide. The next slide was how high your costs are going because of this non-compliance. And then the next slide was who, who's non-compliant and how we get, when was the last time we talked to them? But it, it was a story of that phase, right? Now, if I just showed just the, the regular KPIs, they go, oh my God, you're fired. You suck. But when you show it as, hey, this is an implementation and there's a, there's a crawl, walk, run fit, uh, on this. And we're still crawling. By the end of next month, we'll be walking. And, you know, two months we're running. And that's that's telling that story, and I think that I think that's because yeah, you're, you, what you're giving them is context by telling that story. Like where are we at today? Don't make them guess. And you, you said it earlier; they've got so much else going on. They they might go from one meeting to the next. They're like, where, where am I at? What meeting is this? <laughs> yeah, I mean, imagine imagine you uh, you just handed someone a book that you've read and said, just open up to page thirty six and start reading. They have no, you know, they have no idea. What, what's yep. going on? So what's another phase? What's another thing under that performance outputs? I call it being a, a daily active user. This is a term that in sort of the, the software world, we, we, we care about quite a bit, but it's applicable to, to every industry. And it's really about using your product or your service as often as you can so that you know from the bottom up exactly what's going on and you, you experience it. And it's something that you cannot assign to anyone on your team because they won't be able to give you the emotional experience of what's going on. They'll only be able to tell you logistically, okay, here's what happened, X, Y, Z. And you'll get X percentage of, of the picture. But unless you're physically sitting there in the truck with your driver, on the ship, on the train, on the plane, you won't, you won't be able to really appreciate so what's going on in, in the mindset of, 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 of these people. And it's funny, it's, um, and people hate to do this. They really don't like to do this. They, they say they do, but they don't. And I remember there was a story in some major media outlet recently, one of the major on-demand delivery companies, they had a policy where they would make their employees actually do the deliveries once a, once a year, once a month, something like that. So they knew what it was like. And the employees hate some, some employee, I don't know if it was a very small percentage, but they said how much they didn't like doing it. They didn't have time. They said they didn't have time to do it. And I just remember reading that thinking, if you don't have time to learn and understand the experience and you're just wasting your time building the next iteration of whatever product enhancement you're focused yeah, on. And by the way, this applies really, what we're talking about applies if you're working at the company and you said, this, this is daily active users. So if you're a tech company, if you're a Facebook, you want to know how many daily active users. I don't want to know how many people use it every once in a while who went, you know, I got a message from somebody and I check it once a month. You want to know the daily active users. So that's really means I'm, I'm understanding my product, but there's a lot of brokers and salespeople at trucking companies who are selling to people and you might be a software provider, whatever you might be doing and who don't get into it because they're too busy doing other things. Those other things are like, oh, I created PowerPoint presentations all today. Important, but maybe it's just as important to get out and actually be in a warehouse. My friend, I have a good friend, Tyler, and he's probably not listening, so I don't, I can, I can talk about him. But one of the very best logistics and transportation, he sells truckload services and he'll call, he'll get a new customer and he says, the first day I'll be at your facility when they pick up. And he's there on the dock when they pick up. And very few people would do that. And you go, well, yeah, I don't have time. 
Tyler has a lot more customers than you do. I can almost anyone who's listening, he has way more customers than you do. He makes a lot of money doing a really good job, but that's his priority. And by the way, he's also driven with his driver. He says, hey, how, how, how is it to go from there to there? And they go, oh, it sucks. Let me drive with you. He's, he drives with him for a few hours. And you go, who's got time for that? The very best do have time for that. Very best do have time for that. I couldn't have said it better yep. myself. So what's another thing that we need to know about the performance outputs? Yeah, I think the, the last one I love to highlight is just raising raising the bar and sort of hiring owners. You know, what, what I've seen, I've seen a lot of executives come. I've seen a lot of executives stay and I've seen a lot of executives go over time. And the ones that go, it usually comes down to a couple of things. You know, sometimes it just doesn't work out. For whatever right. reason, it just doesn't work out. Two, just culturally, sometimes they just don't get along with their peers and their executive and fine. The other one, though, which is is so avoidable is they didn't hire a, a, the right team. They didn't hire the right people. They didn't hire the right caliber of people. And then they spend so much of their time trying to make up for that. And they're spread so thin that they're just spinning their wheels. And I see this every single year. I, I saw it re, re recently. Making sure that you really raise the bar on your hires right. and not just filling the position, especially now, is so, so critical. And every every CEO and every you know hiring department will put pressure on the executives to make the hires. Here's the goal. Hire them by February. Hire them by Q3, whatever it is. But... You push back on them and say, look, I need another two weeks to get the right person. I need another month to get the right person. No one is going to say no to that that's thinking about it the, the, the right way. Because we've all seen what happens when you bring in the wrong person or the wrong team. And ultimately, you know, those people do eventually move out of the company. But at some point, it rolls up to the executive running the department. And every CEO will say, you have not hired the right or a good enough team based on what we need. And I think so much comes down to can we recruit, hire, retain, train and retain the very best. And yeah. the reason I bring up retention is because we had all lost a lot of people in the last year. And I think so often, you know, there's this big push to, you know, let we, we hire the very best, but then you the, the training and the mentoring and the coaching and development, oh, we felt we're so busy recruiting the next guy that we don't care. And I think it becomes really high. And you mentioned uh, uh, re really hard with that high turnover because uh, because you notice uh, no one cared after you got in the front door. So if if you're going to upgrade your people, once you hire them, you got to you got to worry about retaining them. And, uh, you know, I noticed that you're sitting in a really nice office and you said you go you go into the office. I heard somebody talk about this recently. They said offices have to become commute worthy. And by the way, this is so weird for a, a, one of the younger boomers. I mean, I, I, no one ever cared about where I sat. I remember I sat on a metal stool for a long time at a, at a desk, right? And I always think to myself, in the olden days, it did matter that you were paid to sit at that desk and uh, it didn't matter if it was nice. We're not in that place anymore. So you, you're a guy who has lots of options. And when they hired you there, they said, Dan, we think you're going to be a great fit and we're going to we're going to make a great career career stop for you. And look where you're sitting. You're sitting in a cool office. You being and when you're in a nice office, you pretty much know you're at a company that cares about its employees. Yeah, and we've and we've looked at our office especially in the last, you know, year or so around commute worthy and to to your point, 
you know, what the worst thing we could do is have everyone come into the office on the days they choose to come in and just do work. So I, it's Wednesday, it's Wednesday. I, I try and come in every, every Wednesday and I really don't do any work on Wednesday. It's just a meeting day. I'm here to meet with every single person on my team and everyone in the Boston area. And we're here to understand what's going on and energize each other. And then we go off and I'll see you next week. And it's, it's such a different way of working even than a couple of years ago. Yep. So the first thing we talked about is the CEO mindset. And that was take it off their plate. That was having solutions. They hear everything, Pre- predict the future. You know, don't, don't, don't just bring them. Here's what's happening today. Cause they're going to assume there's no plan for the future. Also get to that. They, they don't, they don't like to hear no. So better to bring a plan for getting it done than, than going in and saying no. Then the next thing you talked about is performance outputs. And I, I love what you said is tell them a story. And not a big, long, boring story. You're not wasting their time. But I think what it's getting to is give them some context, right? And I like what you said, be a daily active user. That means really understand what you're selling, but also understand your customer. And that means stop going to meetings, stop creating PowerPoints, stop doing all the things you're supposed to do and go engage with either people who are delivering your service or which in like a tomorrow IO, that means you got to log in and look at your, what we're selling to our customer. And then you talked about that constant upgrading of the people we got, and we, we just have to, and that's what the CEO is doing. So you better be doing in your area. Uh, The last bucket you had was called managing yourself. Tell us what you meant by managing yourself. Sure. This is a big one. And I think, you know, we, we, we see it now with everything going on, whether it's, you know, just the stresses from the outside world, mental health, whatever, whatever part is, is, is on you. But, you know, if you're not in a, as healthy of a place as you can be for yourself, it's going to reflect in your outputs. It's going to reflect in the way you manage your team. It's going to reflect when you talk to your CEO. You know, you just said that the CEO is constantly looking at all the people you know, if you report into the CEO, they're looking at you more times than you might think and saying, is this the right person for the right role? I'm thinking about next year. Is this the person I want right. to run into next year with? And it, it it's very apparent when you're not in, in, in a good place. So the really the first one I like to think about is just energy. You know, one, first and foremost, do what you need to do to come in energized. It's not about the amount of hours that you work anymore. Sometimes it is, but oftentimes as executive, it's more about what you get done over the course of a day, a week, a month, a quarter, a year. And you need energy to make sure that you do that. So put yourself in a place where you're not coming in completely drained or completely void of of, of energy. And the other way is to flip that and help energize your CEO. I always talk about it like, you know, imagine you're climbing a mountain with your CEO. It's hard. The hike is hard. But you're going to get to the top regardless. Do you want to just be really mundane and morose and depressed over the course of the walk? Or do you want to try and take some time, acknowledge this is hard, but crack a joke here or there, do something with a smile, try and enjoy the moment as best you can together. You don't want, you know, that's the kind of person you want to go on a hike with. You don't want the person who's going to drag you down. And I, I, the last thing I always say is if you leave a meeting with your CEO, does your CEO leave that meeting with more or less energy than they had before they came <laughs> I love into that. the meeting? I love that. I love thinking that way. And some, a former boss of mine who's now a CEO told me that. I've never, I've really never thought about meetings the same way since uh, I got that, that tidbit. So yeah, that's sort of around energy. I remember meeting, I worked for a Silicon Valley company years ago and it was, uh, we grew and we did well. Ultimately, the company went private because we weren't growing as a, we were growing more as a consulting company there than a tech company. Company's still doing well. But I remember meeting with the CEO. He was meeting with all of us. I think it was 12 of us at the company, met with each one of us. And he said, 
He goes, what do you want from, what do you want from here? What's, what's going on? And I said, you know, I've had certain jobs that I, I had that I was on a mission and the whole team was on a mission. And I loved being part of that. And we all fought together and we go out and celebrate legitimate wins and worked our asses off, but didn't care. And he goes, you don't feel like this is a mission? I go, no, I don't. I'm, I'm, if, if there is a mission, I don't know what it is. And I remember he said, I know what you're talking about. He goes, I've never had a job where it hasn't been a mission. And I, and I remember leaving his office and I thought, interesting. He's never had a job that wasn't a mission. And so that's the way he's looking at the world. So he's bringing that energy. And I'm thinking, and by the way, I kind of put it, the onus is on senior management to let us know what the mission is. Cause it was one of those things where the, a lot of change, a lot of changes. We weren't sure if you're at the bottom, you're trying to figure out what, where the hell is this bus taking us? Right. <laughs> He's yeah. driving it. You want to get on that mission. Yeah. Yeah. Great way to put it. And and by the way, my executive coach says this to me and home. She's been on my podcast a few times. She said, it's not about time management. It's about energy management. So sometimes you might see things on your calendar and you go, That'll take five minutes. That'll take five minutes. Let's take 10 minutes. But if the one is firing a guy and the other one is calling a customer and telling him bad news, it doesn't feel like it's a five minute. It, it's a lot of energy, right? <laughs> so so sometimes our energy gets dissipated because of the activities that we have to do. And you have to manage around that. And, and you're talking about what energy you're putting out to the world. But if I don't kind of manage those difficult assignments well, I can be walking around de-energized. <laughs> I can be that bummer guy, right? <laughs> and, and, and one of the other ways I, I do try and, and mitigate that, because not every, like you said, not everything is uh, is fun. Not everything is an enjoyable experience. I do try and tell my people as well, think about your return on time. And it's a metric, I call it ROT. I really try and drive it home with every single person. We all have the same number of hours in the right. day and in the week. And if you look at all the things that you could be doing and you think about it from a return on time standpoint, if you just list out all the things you have to do and almost sort them by the highest ROT or the highest highest return on time, to me, that helps set my priorities. And sometimes things that are really low return on time just don't get done. Or I know that it's not things I need to prioritize this week. But that's a huge, huge one as well that I, I usually like to talk yep. about around managing. So speaking of return on time, I know you've got a hard stop. So you had a few other points you wanted to make under managing yourself. What were those? Yeah, so a couple other ones. Don't ignore your life. It kind of goes back to just making sure that you're you're staying in, in, in a good place. But as we all now have a more some flexible schedule, you know, more work from home, less commuting, that kind of stuff, make it worth it. You know, I, I always say for me, my thing is I, I try and I exercise every day, whether it's, you know, on the bike or the treadmill or something like that. If there's any day where I miss it, you know, I just have to look myself in the mirror and say, what, what was the, what's the point? I'm sitting here saying how amazing it is that I don't have to waste two hours commuting every day. Isn't well, I better true? be using that time wisely. And whether it's exercise or a hobby or family and friends or it might be, just make sure you prioritize that kind of stuff that's going to energize you on, on the yeah, other side. And, of and I, I'm, I'm a big believer. You got to get out and walk. It, walking isn't always the greatest exercise, but it is exercise. You got to get to the gym, but you got to get that walk in just because, and by the way, I, I'm, I listen to podcasts or I listen to books or music. Sometimes I just say, no, just walk, just hear your own thoughts for a minute. Which would drive me crazy. But <laughs> anyway, 
what I'm going to do, Dan, is since I'm going to lose you in a minute, I'm going to summarize this. I want to get your final thoughts and then want to hear where we can get your book. So today's topic, thinking like a CEO with my friend, Dan Slagan. And Dan, you took us through really three big buckets. And the first one was the CEO mindset. You talked about how they think and they had some nice bullet points. I'll put those in the show notes. How they think is different. They've got this, they've got resources, they've got money. They, they, they don't, they, they're looking for solutions. <laughs> so you have to think like they think before you go in their office. And then you're talking about performance outputs and, you know, what are you sharing with them? You might want to tell a story rather than just bringing the KPIs. If there's a story that goes with it, don't waste their time. Be that daily active user. That means if your technology company, that you're using the product, you're getting out and seeing the customer, you really understand what your customer's going through, but also your product really well. You talked about raising the bar on hires. And the last bucket you gave us, which was managing yourself, and that's the thing we just talked about, which is your energy, stay in shape, get some exercise, eat right, sleep. You know, so when, so when you're coming to work, you can have that return on your time. If you're if you're not taking care of yourself in your life, and I think a lot of people consume too much news and social media. And they got the weight of the world coming in. Yeah, there's difficult things in life, but if you, they're not all your problem. <laughs> take care of yourself and your and your family and your friends, and then you'll be able to go in and take care of work when you're when you're doing it. Final thoughts on this topic before we wrap this bad boy up. My final thoughts, are, honestly, it's you know the the reason I wrote this book. There's a lot of points in it. I don't go particularly deep on any of the points because the most important thing is to just remember them. And the easiest way to remember them is just to consistently review it and remind yourself. I use the book almost as like a weekly guide just to make sure I'm kind of staying on track. I, I joke around. I wrote the book for myself more than anyone else so that I would remember to look at it. Oh, week. speaking of which, I know we, we're running out of time, but tell us how you wrote this book real quick. I know you told me when we were prepping. Yeah, I wrote the book. Actually, I, I had a friend that was working for a, a company and just started reporting into the CEO for the first time. And called me one day and said, I'm really struggling. Can we meet for a beer? So we went out and met and he told me all the things he was struggling with. And I was like, yep, yep. All sounds, sounds right. So I said, fine, I'll write you some, uh, some notes in the morning. So the next morning I wrote him about 15 bullet points, just sort of saying, Hey, here's what I heard. Here's what I'd recommend. And he responded by saying, this has got to be a book. And a year later, it was. (laughs) And you told me you wrote almost the whole book on an airplane ride, right? I did. We were out in San Francisco. I was flying back to Boston. And as soon as he said there should be a book, I just sat down on the plane and just started writing. Like a stream of consciousness. (laughs) The people next to me must have thought I was crazy. I just typed for six hours straight. And yeah, when I got home, I probably had written 70% of the book. Of course, I figured the first 70% was the hardest part of publishing a book. Turns out the last 30% is uh, (laughs) by far the hardest. But yeah, that's where it started. So where can we get your book? And by the way, I'll put a link in the show notes so anyone wants. And I am going to get your book. And um, I like the, you mentioned it's almost like a checklist. I like that because I I said it when we were prepping. I think every book should be about 10 pages, like a, a basically a PDF that I download. And I always think that people have that. And then some publisher says, could you add 200 pages to this? Oh, it's, uh, it's, it's very much a, a, a quick read. And, uh, and I appreciate it. You can get it uh, any of, uh, if you shop at a local bookstore, they can get it through, uh, through, through their website and such. And if not, then it's, uh, it's on Amazon as well. I will put a link to that. And Dan, I really appreciate you taking the time. I know you're a busy man. And I swear, I think we all need to do this. We need, you're going to be a CEO yourself. You're, you're the CEO of your career right now anyway. 
But most guys, as you go through your career, are going to find you either started a company because you wanted one, or you found yourself with a year or six months between senior management roles. There's a lot of guys I talk to who are advisors, consultants. You're going to be a CEO, you're going to be selling to a CEO, or you're going to be answering to a CEO. So <laughs> it's time to start thinking like a CEO. And one last time, what's the name of that book? Understanding Startup CEOs. Dan, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time. Sounds good. Thanks so much, Joe. Yep. And thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support's very much appreciated. Until next time, onward and upward. You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversation with experts in the logistics field. For more details, visit thelogisticsoflogistics.com or follow Joe Lynch on LinkedIn.